want to bring you up to date. Some of you uh, were, uh, were uh, out last week. Oh, it was me that was out. I was out, I, mean, I, was, I was out last week. That's right. I want to bring you up to speed to where we are. You know, we've been in a series <clears throat> that's really been tremendous to me. It's been a blessing to my heart of things that we need to know that we know that we know. Things that we need to be reminded of. Things that sometimes, you know, when the old demon of doubt gets a hold of us and shakes us real good and puts us through a really hard time, there's some things that are anchors for us, some things that we can grab a hold of and can, we can hold on to that and, and it can hold on to us. And so we've been reminding ourselves of those things, about how God's love is constant and it never, ever, ever changes. Well, when I was with you last, I was sharing with you that one thing you need to know is that God wants to reveal his will to you. He wants you to know what his will is for your life. He wants to reveal that to you. He has a special plan. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that, it, that you know, from before the foundation of the world, God had his mind on you and was thinking about you. And so he's got a plan. He's got, a, he's got a, a, an idea, an agenda for you that if you can discover, you're going to find the happiness and the power and the strength and the joy that you never knew. But you've got to get there. So one of the most often questions that I have asked me is, how can I know God's will for my life? And so, before I answer that question specifically, there's a few principles that I always like to go over with folks. This is imperative, and hold on to these. First of all, God wants you to know his will. It's not hide and seek with God. He's not getting you to do this game whether you're warmer and you're colder, you're warmer and you're colder. He's not like that. God wants you to know his will. So just understand right up front, it's not a game with him. He's not playing marbles with you. This is something he really wants. Secondly, I usually ask people when they say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I ask them why. And we went into that. Why? Because if you just want to know idly, just to have more information, like what the weather's going to be tomorrow or something like that, God's not really predisposed to get down on that level. His word for you is far too intricate and special to be rolled around like that. Or if you want to know just so, you can say, well, now God, tell me what it is, and if I agree... I'll go along with it. That doesn't go with it either. God is in the habit of revealing his will to people who want to know so they can find that sweet spot. Where they can find what God's desire is for their life and they can live in that joy and assurance and power that comes from being in the center of God's will. So, we started with those three, uh, two principles. One more I want to add to you is this. If you are steadfastly doing the will of God that you know, then you're in the best position to receive more of his will that he wants you to know. Now hold on to that. That's important. This is an imperative principle. You've got to get this. If you are steadfastly doing the will of God that you already know, and we've looked in the Bible and see what that says. If you're steadfastly doing the will of God that you know, then you're in the best position to hear what else is God's will for your life. So with that in mind, we began to go to the Word. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us in multiple, multiple places, six that, I'm gonna, uh, that I've talked to you about in last message in this, where he explicitly says, this is my will for you. So what do we learn? Well, we learn, first of all, God's will is for every person to be saved. He wants you to come to faith in him. What does that mean? That means accepting Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and in the resurrection so that you can receive his eternal life and he can cleanse you of your sins. But not only that, that you can surrender to him to be the boss in your life, the king, the ruler, the lord of your life. This is his will. 
You know, the scripture says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God's will is for you to be saved. And not only to be saved, but being saved means that he is your boss. He's the Lord of your life. So that's where it starts. That's number one. Now, all of these are sequential. So you need to follow them in order, and you need to do each one. Finding God's will for your life is not something you just jump into the middle of. You start from the beginning, and you work your way to that clarity. So the second thing that we learn was God's will for your life is to be filled with his spirit. The scripture tells us not to be drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but rather to be filled with the spirit. That's a command. And what that means is we're to yield ourselves to Holy Spirit, that he's the one that's driving us along, he's the one that's filling our mind and our hearts, and our actions and attitudes are controlled by him. It's being in, under the influence of Holy Spirit. And we dug into that. And if you, if you want to go over these, you know, it's just two weeks back, and it's in the archive, you can find that. The third thing we found was God's will for our life was to be sanctified. That was a big word that many of us learn. And to be sanctified means to be set apart. To, to be set apart is being special. So the scripture says we're to separate ourselves. Another word for that is to separate. Separate ourselves from our sin, but to God. That we understand that we are here for God's good pleasure. And what gives him pleasure, what gives him joy, is to live in and through the lives of those who love him. And so we looked at what it meant to be separated from our sin and separated unto God. So that's where we've been. So now I want to pick up there and, and start. You've got it on your notes here. We'll start with number four. What is God's will for my life? Well, Brother Fred, really what I wanted to know was who am I supposed to marry or what college am I supposed to go to or what occupation am I supposed to? I'm going to get to that. Don't, don't rush me. <laughs> I'm going to get to that. But you need to walk through the process. So saved, spirit-filled, sanctified. Here's number four. God wants you to be submissive. 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 He wants you to lead a submissive lifestyle. What does that mean? Well, to submit means to voluntarily put your wants, needs, hopes, dreams, desires secondary to someone else. That's what it means. Submission cannot be forced. It cannot be coerced. I mean, me and Bubba can have a wrestling match over here in a few minutes, and he'll win. <laughs> and he can get me to say, Uncle... But he can't get me to submit. Because submission is something I have to do voluntarily. It's an act of my will. It's an act that flows out of my heart. So it's not something that can be forced. So what it means is voluntarily, I take my wants, needs, hopes, dreams, desires, and they become secondary. Well, who, who gets to do the, be the primary? Glad you asked. The scripture tells us, first of all, we are submit to God. That's James chapter 4, verse 7. We're to submit to God. That means that our hopes, dreams, wants, hopes, all of these kind of things, desires, these are secondary and God's are primary. So we're saying, I'm, I'm submitting my plan for my life to your plan for my life. That's what it means to be submissive. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to submit one to another. That means to submit one to another. That means within the body of Christ that we're to live a submissive lifestyle to one another. Well, who are the one another's that are being talked to? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, again, it starts out by saying this happens in marriage. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us, a sacrificial kind of love. So there's a mutual submission here. He goes on to say in chapter 6 that this is in the family. 
that parents are submissive to their children, so their children are submissive to their parents. It's in the workplace. We go further in chapter 6. Employers are to submit to the employees. Employees are to submit to the employers. There is a lifestyle. And Jesus started this off, remember? He said, if any man is going to follow me, let him first deny himself. That's being submissive. That's putting myself into subjection underneath somebody else as an act of my will. And it's not anybody's on top. <laughs> Have you learned yet the crazy thing about God and his word? <laughs> the way to get to the top is to get to the bottom. The way to lead is by following. God does these things to us. It blows our mind, but there's wisdom here that he wants us to receive. We're to submit to one another. A submissive lifestyle. So we're to submit also to those in a spiritual authority over us, the Bible says. We're to submit to those who are over you in the Lord. Pastors, deacons, elders of a church has elders. Whoever are those who are over you in the Lord, we're to be submissive to. Scripture says we're to be submissive to governments. We're to be submissive to the government. Unless it comes to that point to where the law of the land and the law of the word of God are, are counteracting one another, we're to be in submission to live in submission as a good citizen in the world we live in. So this is submission. This is a lifestyle. God says in these six places in his word, here is what submission looks like. It means you're taking your wants, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, whatever, and you're voluntarily putting those underneath the Lord's for you. So a submissive lifestyle. Okay? Submission. Then here's the next one. You're probably not going to like this one too much. God's will is for you to be saved, spirit-filled, set apart, sanctified, and submissive. Here it is. God's will is for you to suffer. To suffer. Yeah, you heard me right. To suffer. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, Pastor. <laughs> you know, I've been watching the Internet and TV and all long enough, and all the preachers out there are saying that God's will is for us to be healthy and wealthy and uh, get all we want and be able to, all of this. this isn't that what the Bible teaches? Uh, no. That's not a biblical doctrine. That is a man-made thought. But God's word specifically says, if it is my will for you to suffer. The scripture says, for all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Well, okay, what's this about? What, what, what kind of suffering are we talking about? Let me tell you what it's not. If you're caught doing something wrong and you suffer for it, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? That's just discipline. That's just justice, okay? If you suffer because you've been caught doing something wrong and you're having to pay the penalty, pay the crime, uh, stand up for the, the consequences, that's not the suffering we're talking about. Let me tell you what it's not, also not. It's, not. it's not cancer, okay? It's not some malady. Sometimes there's a spiritual dimension to some of these, but that's not what's being talked about here. What is this suffering? Because this is a unique suffering. What is this suffering that Jesus is saying, this is my will for you? If you're living a life of a person who is saved, submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're filled with the Spirit and going as He leads you and directs you, if you're set apart for God's good pleasure to do His will in your life, and you're living a submissive lifestyle, let me tell you how that's going to hit 
the lost world around you. Not good. Not good. The world does not like to be reminded of sin. The, love, the, Lord does not, I mean, the world does not like to be reminded that they're thinking or doing anything wrong. And so to see a man or a woman living a godly life where they're, they're yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're walking according to his precepts and his word, and they're filled with joy and they're filled with purpose, that's just irritating. That's just irritating to the lost world. And let me tell you, God understands that. And that's his design. He called us to be salt and light. All right? Salt and light. We're supposed to be salt and light. If the room is dark, I mean absolutely dark, we can't get it absolutely dark in here, but if we could, and then I shined a spotlight at you, what would you do? Yeah. Because that light hurts your eyes. It hurts your eyes when you're just, you're just blinded by that. This lost world, the light of Christ that comes through us hurts their eyes. What does salt do when you rub it into a wound? It hurts. It hurts, yeah. So as we're trying to be preservatives, which is what salt is to be in our society, that stings those in the world. And so understand that as we go about just being our, living our godly lives, we're not, I'm not giving you permission to be irritating. I'm not calling you to be, to be, you know, beating people over the head with a 20-pound Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you quietly going about your humble, godly life. You're going to get shot at. You're going to. Let me tell you something about pastors, deacons, those people in ministries, missionaries. We're going to catch hell from somebody every week, I'm here to tell you. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Now, none of you, but I'm, no, I'm not one of you. I've been pastor long enough here <laughs> to have already received some of that, okay? Listen, this, but this is life. This is, if you're suffering for doing something that's wrong, that's your fault. Get over it. But if you're doing what's right, and you're loving people in Jesus' name, and you're surrendered to Him, and you're separated for His glory, and you're doing everything you know how to do to live a godly life, not irritating people, but just speaking the truth with a great deal of love. Don't expect a lost world to welcome that. They're not. They're not. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer when you live godly, but that's okay. And you say, no, it's not. I, I hear some of you right now saying, if I were God, I'd do it a different way. <laughs> well, let me tell you two things. You're not God, and I'm glad. And secondly, listen to me very carefully. There is not a better way. The things you learn and the intimacy that you have with Holy Spirit when you're going through suffering and trials, cannot be taught in a classroom, cannot be put in a book, cannot be preached from a pulpit. These are lessons you can only learn in the crucible of suffering. And God knows that. God knows that. And so 
He will allow you to go through that. He will not allow you to go through it alone. But he will allow you to go through that. I, I mean, it started when I was first saved. When I first came to faith in Christ, Jesus made such a huge impact immediately in my life that I was obviously different from the guys that I ran with. And, and that irritated some others. That, What's going on with you? Why do you and, and some of them have come to faith in Christ. Some of them have just recently retired as missionaries. I mean... But understand, for a lost world especially, if you're living a godly life, it's going to irk them. It's going to irk them. And, and, and you know, why is it we've got it in our mind that we have to be so camouflaged as Christians that we blend in with all of the world and, and nobody say that anything is wrong? Or That's not being a believer, folks. That's being a chameleon. And God didn't call you to be a chameleon. He called you to be a Christian. He called you to stand for what's right and to be willing to speak against what is wrong. And as you do that, you're going to suffer for it. And God's going to allow you to do that. He's going to walk, work through that because there are things He's going to show you. There's intimacy that you're going to have with Him that there is no place else you can get it. And God knows that. And he loves you enough. He loves you enough to let you go through that and to go through it with you. So what is God's will for my life? If God's will for my life is to suffer for righteousness' sake, I have a question I have to ask me. Fred, is anybody upset with you because you're a godly man? Is anybody upset with you because you're speaking the truth of the word of God in love? And if I say, nope, nope, everybody's cool with me, then I need to stop and say, I must be doing something wrong. Because all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it's going to happen. But, but don't let that surprise you. God's telling you in his word over and over again, this is just life in me. This is just life in me, and it's part of my will for you because there's intimacy I'm going to take you through that you're going to find strength from way after that trial is over. So, God's will is for me to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, set apart for His pleasure. He wants me to be submissive, to live a submissive lifestyle, and He wants me to do that even if I suffer. Let me give you the last one. Here it is. God wants you to go through all of that with a thankful heart, saying thanks. Saying thanks. The scripture makes this abundantly clear. It says, For this, uh, in everything I want you to give thanks, this is my will for you. Can you figure that one out? <laughs> this is my will for you. In everything give thanks. To where, you know, God, this has been tough. I've been drawn through the briar patch, but you've been right there with me. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this. Living a life of, life of, of, of thanksgiving. Let me tell you why this is so hard for some people. We live in an age of entitlement. This world owes me that I can be happy. 
This world owes me that I can have all the things that I want and I desire. And then in the face of that, God's word comes along and says, you need to be thankful with what I provide for you. And as you're thankful, I can provide more. <laughs> but you've got to be thankful for what you have, even if that's the hard times. Say, so, well, okay, preacher, let me tell you what I think. I think I've been cheated. I've been sitting through this whole sermon, the second sermon now. If you let me know if I'm going to marry the right person or go to the right college or pursue the right career, and you haven't got around to any of that, well, here's the good news. I'm about to tell you right now. Get your pencil ready. Get your pencil ready. If you have been saved, you've submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And you're yielded to his Holy Spirit that he is controlling you and guiding you in all you do. If you're living your life separated for God's good pleasure, and that's why you exist, that's your purpose. And in the process of that, you're willingly to all the world to see submissive to God and to those in authority around you. Even when it hurts and you suffer. And out of that you give thanks. What is God's will for your life? Are you ready for this? Anything you want. Anything you want. You say, no, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You, you done lost me again. You done, you done lost me again. No, wait a minute. If you're saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering for Christ's sake, saying thanks, who's controlling your desires? God is. Who's in charge of your wants? Holy Spirit is. Who's directing your path? Christ is. Here's what the scripture says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does it mean to delight myself in the Lord? It means to be totally surrendered to him as my Lord and Savior. Governed, controlled, influenced, pushed along by his Holy Spirit. Seeing that I'm set apart to give God's good pleasure and, and relish that. When I find myself submitting to him and out of joy submitting to my wife as she submits to me and submitting to my children as they submit to me, all of these things. If I'm doing that and even in the process, suffering in the process... But thing, thanks in it all. Then guess what? Here's, here's, here's God's will for my life. Or, okay? And, and here's mine. You know what God has just done? He's just taken these two and He's just made them one. Because my desire is His desire. And my will is His will. And so what God gives me is that desire is His desire. Let me flesh that out in a couple of ways for you. Valeria and I dated for three years, two years as high school sweethearts. And we, we loved one another. We knew we loved one another. But we were young. We were kids. And so how do we know if it's God's will for us to get married? And so we went through these things. Were we genuinely saved and, rel and related to, to Jesus Christ correctly? Were we yielded his lordship in our lives? Was Holy Spirit controlling and leading in what we were doing? Were we, did we understand that we were separated for God's good pleasure? Not for our pleasure, but for God's good pleasure. Were we submissive to Him and to our parents and those in authority over us? Were we suffering for that? Yes, <laughs> we were. 
But in that where we sing thanks, and in all these things, all of this aligned. But then, because I'm the one who's really thick-headed, we needed to test that a little bit more. So when we graduated from high school, we went to different colleges, miles away, dated other people, didn't communicate for a season. And then when we got back together, reviewing these things, are we doing these things? Yes. What's God's telling you? He was making it abundantly clear to us that we were, we were designed, we were made for one another, to be helpmates to one another. So if you ask me, was it God's will for me to marry Valeria? Absolutely. Was that the desire of my heart to marry Valeria? Absolutely. Because God had taken those wills and had made them one. Eighteen plus years ago, we were finishing up a ministry in Nashville. And uh, Valeria and I both were beginning to sense in our spirit, God's about to do something. He's about to move us. He's about to do something. We don't know what. So what do we do? We made sure all of these spiritual lines were checked. God of my submissiveness, Lord of my life, each and every one of these, we went through all of these. And we finally said, okay, God, we're here, wide open. What do you want? In a matter of a week, three wonderful opportunities presented themselves. One was to pastor a church not far from here, as a matter of fact. One was to pastor First Baptist Church of Blairsville. And the third one was to be the executive director of the National Baptist Association, which was over 210 churches at the time. And so we prayed about all these. God, you know, is it one of these or is there another one we need to wait on? And so we kept praying and kept praying. And, and God says, where is the delight of your heart? What is the delight that I've given you? And that was for First Baptist Blairsville. We were just drawn there. And he said, okay, burn the other bridges. So we said no to the church down the road here. We said no to the National Baptist Association. And we said, this, this, this is where we think God's leading us. And then First Baptist Blairsville got quiet for a few months. That's okay. You know, God works in quiet too. And so what we were doing, we were continuing to stay on our face before the Lord. Lord, what are you telling us? What are, we, what are you showing us here? We want to be patient. We want to be trusting you. And then First Baptist Blairsville called us, and the ball started rolling, and in a matter of about six weeks, we were there as pastor. Did God call me to First Baptist Church of Blairsville? You better believe he did. Was that the desire of my heart, and I wanted to go there? You better believe I did. And let me tell you, we did the same thing before I came here. Do I believe it's God's will for me to be your transitional pastor? Absolutely. Has that been the desire of my heart? You betcha. <laughs> But it's only after you go through the process. You, got, you cannot escape the process. God's will is discovered in the process. And so you, I have to ask you this morning, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know what that means? Can I tell you what that means? Or one of our staff or one of our deacons, can we share with you what that means? That's your first step. You're not going to find out in step seven until you find out step one. Have you yielded your life to Holy Spirit that He can, he can fill you and He can, can guide you and influence you? Are you yielded to that influence? Have you realized that your life is not your own? 
It's been set apart for the glory of God. And nothing brings you better pleasure than to be fulfilling that in your life. Do you understand submission? And are you walking in that submission? Even to the point that it irritates some people. And maybe you're getting, getting all kinds of you know, thorns because of that. And in the midst of it saying thanks. Then what you do is you say, okay, God, here's my will. And I know yours is out here. I just want you to align them. Align them. Can I tell you that's what your search team's been doing? <laughs> that's what your search team's been doing. Following a process that knows, because it's biblical, how it yields results. So here's, here's the prayer. Here's what I'm asking. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Not just because you want to know what the weather is tomorrow or whatever, but to where you can do it and find that sweet spot of joy and, and fulfillment and the power that comes from being right where God wants you to be. Here's the process. Join me in the journey. Let's pray together. Father, there's so many things in your word that tells us, here's, here's my will for you. You've just led me to pull out these. But they provided for me over all these years a systematic way of searching for your heart and knowing your mind. And over and over again, I found that my desires have been morphed and transitioned into being yours. And that my delight <laughs> has been found in your delight. And so, Lord, I just pray that you take the stumbling and fumbling that I do trying to preach and let it bring inspiration and wisdom and hope under Holy Spirit's hand. And, Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I want to pray again for Noah and Vicki. Lord, they know your will because they've taken this process. They're going to the Solomons because they've been through this process and found the delight. And Lord, there are others here today that that's where they are too. They're trying to find where's that sweet spot. What is it God wants me to do? Who does he want me to date? Who does he want me to marry? Where do I go to school? What is my career? What is your calling on my life? Lord, I pray that wherever they are in this journey, they'll stop and take these six points, rigorously seek to follow them, and then discover the delight. And Lord, I want to pray for our search team, and then I want to pray for our church as a whole, because this is right where we are. As a congregation, we want to be saved and under your lordship. We want to be filled with the influence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we want to be totally set apart, this church set apart for your honor and glory. God, we want to be absolutely submissive to you. Even if that means going through tough times. Thanking you all the way. Because we've got to discern your will for our next pastor. We can only do that as we take these steps. We continue to pray for him and pray for our team 
and pray for us, holding on to the promise that day will come soon, that we'll be able to see with our eyes what we've held a treasure in our heart. Until then, may we be about finding and doing your will. In the name of our precious Lord Jesus, amen.